0: If you can have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that would be wonderful. But as we start, why don't we pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you so much that you're speaking, God. Lord, we pray that your words that are sharper than the two-edged sword will sharpen our minds and hearts, that we may be able to live for you, not just today, but for the rest of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First Corinthians, uh, Corinthians chapter 9. Well, a rat race is a term used for um, an endless, self-defeating, and pointless pursuit. We call our work and many of our life, I think, rat race, because it conjures up this image of futile effort of a lab rat running in a wheel again and again and again, but it cannot escape that wheel. Um, i think this describes many people's lives and i think in some ways especially in life, in life in hong kong people walk faster in hong kong than in other places people seem to be in a race to get to somewhere things are run more efficiently in hong kong but you if you stop and ask well what is this all for what is this for what is the prize what is it what is it that people are really wanting out of life well A lot of people can't answer that question very clearly. And even when the prize is clear, even when the prize is clear, it seems to me that there are a couple of flaws with this prize. The prize is not quite what they had thought. One, because it doesn't actually bring them fulfillment. It doesn't bring them happiness that they're wanting out of this prize, out of the thing that they want in their life. And secondly, a lot of things just don't last. If they bring fulfillment, it just—if it's ephemeral, it goes away. It's momentary. In a way, money I think is probably the biggest prize that people live for. I've been reading this book by a New York Times columnist called David Brooks called Social Animal. It's a great book which draws on research from many social sciences. And this is what he writes about happiness and money in this book, Social Animal, researchers have found that there's no good correlation between money and happiness. For example, living uh, living standards in the US have gone up for the past 50 years, but this has produced no measurable uptick in happiness. Winning the lottery produces a short-term jolt of happiness, but the long-term effects are invisible. People aren't happiest during the middle-aged years, when they are winning the most promotions. They're happiest in their 20s and in their 60s when their careers are just starting or winding down. People who place tremendous emphasis on material well- well-being tend to be less happy than people who don't. So, if you read the book, I mean, and this is obvious to many, many people, there's ample research around money and happiness, and there's no good correlation between the two. Um, Uh, Some people um, know this, and they want to live for more lasting things, and they have found that really, it's the relationships that brings people happiness. So they live for their families, they live for their spouses, um, their children, and there's definite wisdom there, since, once again, this book, Social Animal, points to the fact that relationships actually do bring happiness to people. It makes their lives more fulfilling. Um, for example, uh, research points that people who have one recurrent sexual partner in a year are happier than people who have multiple partners in a year. That goes against people's tw- people in their 20s and 30s thinking, doesn't it? That if I just, uh, um, it it's not sex that pe- uh, brings people happiness, but it's actually the relationship, relationship with that, in, with that person that brings happiness. Deep and abiding relationships make people happy. But even then... Even then, relationships are doomed to fail, aren't they? Because uh, relationships are broken, Um, we're not perfect, but ultimately, they're doomed to fail because they pass away. People pass away. Death takes people away from our lives. One by one, death will intervene, and our relationships will end ultimately. So people live for things that are futile, things that actually don't bring people happiness or things that don't last, things that are ephemeral. And that wasn't all that different two thousand years ago and in the context of Paul's uh, days. During the time of Paul's writing, Corinth was the center of the Isthmian games, and Isthmian games was one of the three major sporting events in Greece. Along with Olympic Games and Pythian Games, it took place every two years in Corinth, to the place that people, uh, to the to the to the people that he's the city that he's uh, 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 where people he's riding to live, um, and at the time you could see around across, uh, uh, sort of the city hill many many people training for these games. The winner, of course, received uh, the laurel of wreaths the crown that distinguished the athlete as the winner. But look down to our passage. Look down to verse 25. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training, but they do it. They do it to get a crown that will not last. This crown does not last. The laurel themselves will decompose and the fame will dissipate. Apparently the most famous... Victor, most famous athlete of these games, was called um, Cleitomachus of Thebes in 216 BC. But who has heard of him now? <laughs> it was a surprise to me. I'm sure it was a, it's a surprise to every one of you here. His fame dissipated. And look what Paul goes on to say then at the rest of the same verse. But we do it. We run the race to get a crown that will last forever. The thing is, everybody is running a race. Everybody is living to win some prize in their lives. For most people, this race is a, is a rat race. By definition, it won't last. It actually doesn't be, uh, bring people happiness. But we run this race to get the crown that will last forever. Now, if you think about the crown, what is this crown that we're running for? What is this prize? And Paul talks about winning again and again in these passage. Verse 19, to win as many as possible. Verse 20, to win Jews, to win those who are under the law. In verse 21, to win those not having the law. In verse 22, the verb changes. In the same place where the, the verb win should be, he says, to save. He says, I have become all things to all men. So that by all possible means, I might save some. The victory, the prize, and the crown really is the salvation. Salvation of people who hear the gospel and turn to Jesus. I want to go back to that research again. David Brooks uh, points out in in, in his book Remember relationships, that that, uh, relationships do bring fulfillment. But they end. Paul says these relationships will bring fulfillment and they will last forever. They will go on forever and ever. They will stand again. People that come to Christ uh, will stand again at the judgment day, at the last day when Jesus comes back, and they will stand and they will receive their glory. And that prize will last forever. Remember Paul's words to Thessalonians as he reflects on his time with them. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2, verse 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. There's obviously the satisfaction of pleasing Jesus, our maker. But it's more than that. He will look to the people. He will look to the people who are with him for eternity. And he considers them his crown and joy. They are his hope, joy, and crown. Obviously, um, there's that, 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 that satisfaction of knowing that they are saved from judgment and condemnation. And that ought to be enough, really. But in the new creation, each person who is saved, each person who eats from the tree of life, will be in their full glory. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he talks about the resurrection body. That's what he's talking about. Each person will shine with Christ's splendor. Each person will be resurrected with new bodies as it was intended to be. We will receive this un- incorruptible body, untainted by death. God's glory will be revealed fully in each one of us. We won't merely see beauty, though actually that should be enough. We'll be united beauty with beauty. We see, we pass into it, we, pe- we receive it in ourselves, we bathe in it, we become part of it. And so C.S. Lewis, in his essay called Weight of Glory, he says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Each person will be in full splendor and glory. That If we saw that person now, as, as, as they will be, will be strongly tempted to worship. We are made in the image of God. And at that day, we will uh, will receive these new bodies. And we will bathe in God's beauty and glory. And we'll look upon them. We'll look upon the people God saved through us. And they will bring lasting joy. Lasting satisfaction. Lasting fulfillment. That is the prize people who are clothed with the weight of God's glory people who will shine the full splendor of God's glory so that is the prize now if that's the prize how do we get there how do we win that prize after all Paul says in verse 25 not not everyone who runs this race will win the prize running the race doesn't mean it doesn't guarantee that you win win the prize you must run Uh, this race, in a way, to win. Some people run aimlessly. Some people punch, but their punches don't land anywhere. Some want to share the gospel, but to no avail. How should we run this race? How should we do this evangelism thing? I think the verbs, I think, uh, in the first paragraph is very, very telling once again. So if you look to verse 19, this is how he starts uh, This is how he starts uh, the section. He says, I am. I am free and belong to no man. But if you look at the rest of the paragraph, he goes on to say, he talks about how he has become. How he's become this and that. He is a certain way, but he says he didn't stay there. He didn't just say, I am this way and I'll stay this way because this is who I am. He becomes. He becomes things that he wasn't. Verse 20, to Jews I became a Jew. Remember how he circumcised Timothy in Acts chapter 16 and 3, 16-3, because um, he didn't want Timothy's non-circumcision to be an issue with the Jews worshiping in the temple. He also com- uh, complied with the strict Nazarite vows in Acts chapter twenty one, twenty three, and became a model Jew when he was with the Jews so that he could be with them and witness to them. But also, when being a Jew conflicted with the gospel message, he refused to participate. For example, he, did this, he does the opposite thing as he did with Timothy, um, with Titus, and because he wanted to make sure that in that context, people understood that being circumcised and being not circumcised had nothing to do with salvation. He wanted to make that clear. So in verse 21, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. And if you go back to the first uh, 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 first sermon of this series, he talks about the weak, the people who are weak um, in their in their mind because they don't know the freedom that they have in Christ, and so they um, they don't feel good about eating the food that's sacrificed to to idols. He says, "Well, I won't eat that food at all if it it would bring it, that if that becomes a stumbling block to them, to the weak I became." weak. He has become all things to all men, that by all possible means that he might save some. I am to I become. That is the training. That is how he ran the race. Even in my young age, I can sense that as I become older, as we grow older, it's easier to say, well, I am this way. I prefer this. I like this. This is who I am. Remember, we're not our own. We're not our own. We have been crucified with Christ, Galatians chapter 2.20. We were bought at a price, 1 Corinthians chapter 6.20. Jesus controls who I am and who we are. And remember what he says, what Jesus said to his disciples in Mark 10, whoever would be great among you uh, you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slaves of all. We must be slaves of all. We must be subject to everyone around us. There's no excuse of saying, I am this way, and so I'll stay this way, whether you're 13 or whether you're 75. What others prefer, what others are reading and watching, what others are, what they're interested in, what their needs are, must influence then who I am, what I'm trying to become. If that means that those people can hear the gospel. "I am till I become is the race." And within the church, I think this means that we must be, be able to say to one another, "I'll work on becoming this for your sake." Once again, um, Hugh, my old boss, used to tell the story of this old woman who grew up in the Church of England with Book of Common Prayer, with hymns. And this young pastor came, brought in drums and guitar. She didn't like it. But that didn't deter her from fully participating in the church life or rejoicing in it. Because she says, well, I don't like it personally. But if it brings people to Christ... If it brings people to the church, maybe I should just deal with it. Even in her old age, she was becoming these things for the sake of the gospel. Whether it is our preference to music, or whether we like candles and robes, or dance in our worship, raising hands this high or this high or this high. Whether we pray loudly or silently, whether we um, uh, we must always be willing to work and changing our tastes and preferences, preferences if we would help to edify the church and bring people into the church but here he talks specifically about evangelism people who are outside of the church becoming all things to all men that he might save some well you know you think this might be just a thing a story of missionaries that are out there I know missionaries who have adopted the practice of praying face down because they're in Muslim countries, Islam, uh, Muslim-dominated countries. But we don't have to c- go across the ocean to, to cross cultural barriers. Some of you might not like Facebook and what it is. But that's where people are. Becoming in this race um, might mean that you set up a Facebook account and be a Christian and do witness through Facebook. For others, it might mean getting into politics, whether you're not into politics, because your colleagues are into politics, and they love talking about politics. It might mean going to places that you might not be comfortable in, or spend time with uh, people that you're not, you, don't, you wouldn't normally spend time with. We often only relate to people who are just like us. So many Christians, including myself, I, sp- I really... I was so convicted. Um, We only relate to people who are just like us. And not many of us have many non-Christian friends. And when we do, there's superficial friendship. Becoming might mean spending time with them. Taking up hobbies that they have. Talking about things that they like talking about. And spending time going to parties and vacations with them. That we might be an ambassador to Christ i have become all things to all men by all possible means that i might save some but just as a point of clarification before we move on to the third point this should apply to only morally great things <laughs> paul would have never said to the thief i became a thief <laughs> to the adulterer, adulterer that i became an adulterer conversely he would have never stopped. He would have never have stopped practicing virtues that are always right. For example, fruits of the Spirit, fruit of Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things, he would have never stopped practicing them no matter what context that he's in. But there are many things that we could take on so that we might save some. And already... I hope you can see that running this gospel race is not an easy thing. To, to go from I am this way to I will become this is really, really difficult, even when you're 13. Um, Paul aptly then compares this race to running a marathon or boxing, two of the toughest sports that I can think of. I tell you this. Um, I, I told you this before that I've wrestled, I think, in high school. Um, you might not believe me, but um, I used to wrestle. And, and, and in the wrestling room, there were, uh, this, these words are painted, No pain, no gain. No pain and no gain. I want to change that a little bit. No pain, no glory. Running this gospel race is tough, and Paul does not envision an easy race. Not everybody runs, runs this race, and everybody, some people run aimlessly, and some people, uh, punches don't land anywhere. And look to verse 27. He says, I, I beat my body and to make it my slave. Literally, I lead my body as a slave. He subdues his mind and will, his body, so that he might be able to reach people who don't yet know Jesus. I told you now that I wrestled in high school, but I didn't tell you that I wrestled one year in college as well. Um, I I am very embarrassed to tell you this because my record was something like one win and something like 27 losses. (laughs) Um, The biggest defeat that I had was in my junior year, um, where I didn't actually wrestle at all, but I wrestled in my sophomore year, and I used to just go to practice time to time. And the, the coach, in, in order to woo me in to the wrestling team back in, I don't know why, because I had one win the previous season, but he wanted, to, he wanted me to join the team. He said to me that next week there is a match, and if you just join the, ch- the team, you can just raise your hand and take a win for us because they don't have a 157-pounder, which is what I wrestled. So I said, okay, well, I can do that. I can go in and raise my hand. So I filled out the paperwork and I did some stuff and I joined the team. Now, when that Saturday came, I went to the match and the coach said, actually, there is somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Do you wanna wrestle? (laughs) without having any training whatsoever, without having just the tough things that need to be done to run, the drilling over and over again, running the miles, um, controlling what you eat, and all those things, I said, okay. I lost. I was pinned, I think, within something like 50 seconds. <laughs> I think it was a miracle that I lasted 50 seconds. You know, a lot of people approach evangelism approach discipleship like that, we jump into this. We jump into sharing the gospel. We jump into trying to build other people up without doing all the little things that needs to be done in order to make that work. Um, Preaching the gospel without getting to know the people, without finding out what their struggles are, what their life is actually really like, what motivates them, and what makes, me, what makes them upset, what their surface questions are, and what their deep questions are, without having prayed for them again and again over months and years. We want the prize without, uh, without the training. There is no pain, no gain. Without doing all the things, we will not win this prize. We need to not share only our words, but our lives, our meals, our vacation times. It takes time and effort. And it's difficult to go from, I am this way, to I will become these things for your sake. But everybody is living for some things. What is the prize that you're living for what will last once again Paul in Thessalonians chapter 2 for what is our hope our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of Jesus when he comes is it not you indeed you are our glory and joy it is a race worth running It is a race worth training our bodies and our mind and our will for. And let's be a church that runs this race together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the salvation that we have received. We know that this wasn't because of our righteousness because we are better than others, but because you are merciful to us. And we pray that you will instill in us such joy, um, such, uh, such indescribable, indescribable bubbling joy in our lives, that it will shape all of the way that we live our lives. We pray that we will give up our rights, that we will give up um, all the things that we prefer, all the things that we are, so that we might be able to train ourselves. We might become people who might win people for you. And we pray uh, this not for our sake, but for your sake, that you will be glorified in our lives and in the many people's lives that we come in touch with. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.